Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where it's our hope that the stories that you hear on this show inspire you to get outside and chase whatever your outdoor passions may be. As most of you probably know by now, if you've been looking at social media, uh, I was able to take a buck on opening or my opening night. It was actually the second day of the season, and Walter and I are going to do a podcast about that on a later date. Or actually, it'll pop up next week, probably, on your podcast feed. Uh, on this episode, Walt wasn't able to join me. He had some issues going on, so I was able to hop on and record with Mr. Bo Lease. Bo Lease is a guy that hunts in South Georgia. He saddle hunts, hunts with traditional archery, he films his hunts. He's doing all kinds of cool things, as uh, everybody would say these days. Uh, and he's been doing it for a little bit. He really enjoys that, and he loves the aspect of uh, traditional archery and filming his hunts. So I think this is going to be a great episode uh, for everybody. I need to mention that this episode is going to be brought to you by Tethered. Tethered is a saddle company. Their saddle, the Mantis, uh, it's really hot right now, and uh, everybody's uh, wanting to try that thing out. So if you get a chance, go out and check out uh, Tethered, uh, tetherednation.com. Uh, also, this podcast is being brought to you by the Patreon account of Chase and Tales Outdoors. Uh, we really appreciate all of our patrons of the show, and uh, if you're thinking about becoming a patron member, you can visit that at uh, www.patreon.com forward slash Chase and Tales Outdoors. Uh, we are still doing the giveaway for the uh, Predator platform made by Tethered. You still have some time to register for that if you'd like. Um, also, I would like to encourage you guys to check out some of our social media pages. We got some cool stuff going on there. It kind of documents 
what we got going on and you can find those on Facebook, Chasing Tales Outdoors. Or we even have a listener group that's called Chasing Tall Tales, uh, if you'd like to join that as well. And you can also check us out on Instagram. Well, uh, I believe that's all the business that I have for you guys. I hope everybody is out there, uh, is either in the woods or getting ready to be in the woods. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck this season. So without anything else, uh, let's get into the podcast with Mr. Bo Lease. All right, everybody. Welcome back. On this episode, I have a guy that is the coolest of the cool kids. And what I mean by that is he hunts out of a saddle. He hunts with traditional archery, and he catches it all on film. The only down mark I have on this guy is that he is a Georgia Bulldog. And unfortunately, Walter, the other host of this show, isn't on here to kind of rebuke that. So I would like to welcome Mr. Bo Lease to the show. How are you doing, Bo? I'm doing well, Jason. Thanks for having me tonight. Awesome, man. That's great. Uh, Actually, the way I found you is I was searching through some YouTube stuff and I caught your channel and I was kind of intrigued because you were hunting out of a saddle, you were using traditional archery equipment, and you were catching it all on film. And for a second, I thought you were hunting out of Florida, but you actually are out of South Georgia, which is cool as well. Yeah, that's great. I I decided to jump on a saddle uh and start filming with the trad books i didn't see anybody else doing it and i was enjoying hunting that way anyway and i uh just jumped right in there and i found a little niche i thought and i don't know this year it looks like everybody and their brothers got a saddle and uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah no doubt man no doubt well before we get started why don't you give the listeners a little background on yourself, like maybe how you got into hunting uh I, i was i was born in it my my dad is true blue deer hunter uh he's been doing it since the early 80s i one of my earliest memories was four years old waiting on him to get off work at four o'clock in the morning so we could drive an hour and a half north in mid-georgia to elite some property at least and hunt so there was there was no uh there was no real choice for me and uh i think it's much to my fiance's dismay that the bug has me just as bad if not worse than him i've been doing it now for i, I believe this would be my 27th season I've been hunting in some form or fashion. Oh, wow. At, at only 33 years old. I mean, I, I was, daddy, daddy was real big about taking me when I was young. He, he didn't want me to be left out. Okay. Well, that's good. It's good that you got to get out there and probably have gotten a, a lot of experience in all those uh, 27 years of hunting. Uh, have you been hunting Georgia for that long? Is that, that's uh, how yes. long you've been? Okay. Yes, sir. I've been in Georgia pretty much exclusively uh, a trip out to Iowa once and a uh, trip right into the uh, South Carolina area uh, for pigs once. Okay, cool. Talk to us a little talk to us a little bit about Georgia. Talk to us a little bit about Georgia hunting. Like maybe what are some of the like regulations in Georgia? What are the deer like there? Maybe explain that to some of the listeners because I don't think we've really had anybody on from Georgia to uh, talk about deer hunt. Well, in Georgia, I mean, we, have, we have one of probably the most liberal bag limits uh, I think there is. I mean, there's two bucks and ten does. One buck has to have four on one side. Uh, the other can be anything. Our season runs from normally the second week of September until the second week of January. It's We have a month of bow season, a week of primitive weapon season, and then two and a half months, basically, of rifle season. So you run into a lot of scared deer. Um, they legalize baiting throughout the state I believe last year before that it was just legalized in the Southern end of the state. So you get, you get a lot of deer that are, they're, they're fed a lot of, you know, they're, they feed on ags mostly in my area. Most of the areas I've hunted in Georgia, especially in the South Georgia, we have a lot of ag area down here. So you run into them on peanut fields and pit corn fields. And I, I run a lease and I, I always joke that 
our ground glows at night because of <laughs> most of our members out there. It's uh, <laughs> it's just unbelievable how much corn goes out from time to time. Right. Yeah, I can I can see that. Yeah, I can see that for sure. So, what talk about the quality of the bucks in Georgia? So uh, it's that's kind of interesting. Though. The lease that we have, um, we actually started implementing uh, eight years ago to uh, four on one side and trying trying to encourage the members to kill bigger deer. I, I was one of the big ones pushing forward. Uh, I'm, I'm the vice president out there, and the president asked me to take over as vice president. I, I told him if I did that, I want to change the rules and I want to increase the deer size. Well. I guess the whole state started doing that because next thing you know, we're seeing big bucks everywhere. I mean, I don't know if y'all have seen some of the deer killed out of North out of Atlanta area. Um, I mean, I was seeing them on some forums years ago, but those C1 boys are, I mean, they're killing massive. I think one of them killed 160 something into eight point last year. We're killing pretty consistently two to three bucks in the one thirties to one forties on our place every year. Uh, I was fortunate enough to kill one last year that was right around that. If he hadn't been busted off my, uh, my father actually, killed one a few years ago out there that was uh, 141 i think he uh, netted down to 138 and comically uh my dad is a big gun hunter i uh, watched the deer for 35 minutes that morning at 40 yards staring at me with a recurve and wouldn't shoot him just uh no angle my dad walks back into that afternoon and shoots him at t- to about 10 steps from the stand so uh it's wow. uh one of those fun <laughs> We're, oh. we're two hunters, so it's it's not that big of a deal. But it was uh, it was a little heartbreaking to see just how big he really was. Oh yeah, well, I'm sure. But it was cool to see your dad get it. I'm sure. Oh, it was. It was. It was his biggest deer by far. Nice. Yeah, I think when I think about Georgia, I, like I said, I think I feel like there's probably a mix for the size of bucks because, like I said, you got some of them guys in Atlanta, those seek one guys, and they're hunting those urban areas and just killing yes. giants in those urban areas. And then I feel like there's some areas where uh, what uh, maybe a hundred to 110 inch buck might be big in Georgia, certain areas. South, south southeast Georgia. I, I actually went to school at Georgia Southern, and uh, a big deer over in that area was was a hundred to 110 when she got south of Bullock, uh, down around those coastal areas, uh, that southeast area. I mean, uh, I, a good friend of mine is Tax Dermerson. He had a, I was in there when a guy brought in a, a 95 inch eight point a couple years ago. And he was just tickled pink with how big it was. And then he, and I, I was, you know, you always try to be polite and not say anything, but I was just kind of like, you know, that's, that's a deer that probably would have got a pass for me. And then he said where he shot it at. And I kind of put two and two together how big a deer it really was for his area. Right. Yeah. It's kind of um, all relative. It seems like <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> I know usually if somebody kills a 95 to hundred inch deer in Florida, they're super excited about it. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sure. exactly. Yeah, you kind of never know. Uh, well, cool. Well, like I mentioned in the intro, you, you saddle hunt, you hunt with traditional archery, and you, you film your hunts. So I kind of want to talk about each one of those, maybe break them down a little bit, and kind of what you think about each one. Let's start with saddle hunting. How long have you been saddle hunting? So I started saddle hunting in 2008. I had a Guido's Web. I don't know if you're familiar with what that is. But, oh, uh, yeah. I've heard, I've heard of them for sure. I, I never I, had one, but I heard of them. If, if I, I quit gun hunting in 2005 um, uh, okay. for, for about 10 years. I, I didn't pick up a gun. And I was I was compound bow hunting and traditional bow hunting at the time. I used to joke that my compound bow was my gun and my traditional bow was my bow. And I hunted out of that Guido's web. I killed one doe out of it for two years, and I hated it. I hated everything about it. It was so it was really comfortable once I got set up, but I never could find a platform I liked. I never could find it oh an easy way to lean back enough from the tree to shoot a bow comfortably out of it. And I, I ended up selling it. I bought a, a, a nine and a half pound lock on stand and I hunted out of that for the next six years. 
Well, I decided to get back into filming my hunts uh, a year and a half ago. And when I did that, I said, if I'm going to add another nine pounds to my setup, I need to lose some weight somewhere on these mile, mile and a half walks in at time. So I started looking around and there was, at the time, there was just, there was the, the sit drag saddles had become popular. I was seeing from different places. And then I believe Arrow Hunter came out with their Kestrel. And I, uh, I, I comically uh, won second place in a fantasy football league that uh, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in just to keep up with some buddies from college. And uh, I honestly didn't even know I had won. A friend of mine told me I had won and wanted to know where, where you should send the money to. Nice. And it turned out to be just the exact amount of money to buy a Kestrel. So I bought okay. one and went ahead and I, I modded it up. I just bought the seat and then I, I built the rope. The, I did the rope bridge and everything else the way I wanted it. Okay, nice. And uh, then I, I started seeing the platforms again, and that was that was in 2016, I guess, uh, or 17, 2017. Okay. And it was, it was the end of 17, the start of 18. So I I got two hunts in it, and I hated standing on the top of my muddy sticks, and I hated standing on screwing steps. So I just kind of figured there had to be a different way, and I came across Saddle Hunter form, and I saw the Clems platform. And it just so happened that I had a lone wolf stand that had that same little seat on there. And mm-hmm. I figured, heck, I think I can make one of those. I'm, I'm not too, I'm not, I'm not ignorant, at least when it comes to a wrench. So I started messing around a little bit. And next thing you know, I, I bought it and, or I, I put one together. It took me, I think it took a week to get everything in and probably a half an afternoon to make it the way I wanted it. And I have not looked back. Um, I started last season thinking I was going to hunt some out of the saddle and some out of a lock on. And I, I, any walk-in hunt I did on public or anywhere else, I had the saddle last year. I, uh, I think I had I had 60, 67 or 68 sits last year, and only three of them were not in the saddle. Okay, nice. Yeah, what were the What were the other ones? Were they on the ground or? I sat on the ground twice, and I sat out of a lock on once. Um, okay. Well, then I'll tell you about, I, I sat on the uh, the ground uh, once, I sat on a lock on once, and I sat in a Tomcat because I, I filmed a hunt out of it last year. Okay, so you mentioned that you sat 67 times and 64 of those were out of the saddle. Yes, so sir. Talk about talk about why. Like, what were what are the advantages of a saddle in, in your mind? It's, it's actually, for me, it's, it's the weight saving capability and the comfort. Um, I honestly didn't think it would be that much, com- that much more comfortable. Um, even though, even coming from the Guido's web, which is one of the most comfortable saddles, but I just, that whale tail that's between your legs and that Guido's web just was, I never could get used to that in a way that was comfortable. Okay. And with the platform, I mean, it just, it changed everything. I, I, I would, I would accredit the platform more so than the saddle to the comfort factor of how much I enjoy it. But uh, I did two sits this year from about, I did one from about 45 minutes before daylight. And I, I ended up shooting the deer at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And then I did one from 11 o'clock in the morning until almost an hour after dark. I had a group of pigs come in and I couldn't, I couldn't get out to get, I, I didn't really want to bust them out and I couldn't get out of the stands. So I sat there and let them mess around until they finally fed off and no comfort issues. I mean, it was absolutely flawless. Well, good. Yeah. I mean, the little experience I have with a saddle that I plan on hopefully exclusively hunting out of a saddle this season. And I, like I said, it just feels really comfortable. I was kind of worried about that before beforehand. And then since I've been practicing with it, s- sitting with it, and I mean, they've got even got those little recliners now that you can kind of wrap around your, your back a little bit. Uh, it almost feels like you're in a hammock sometimes is it's almost too comfortable <laughs> in my I, opinion. Agreed. Sometimes 
Uh, I, I get in the stand about an hour, hour and a half from, from the about the last week of October through the second to third week of November. I'm in the stand an hour before daylight most of the time. And I, I don't know if I don't know how much you set in a lock on, but even with a safety harness, you try to lean over an hour and a half before daylight and take a nap. And you wake up with that blackness in your face, you almost fall every time. I just <laughs> yeah. lay my head on that bridge in the dark, and it has been one of the most comfortable things in the entire <laughs> world. I just that, that that was one of the reasons I made my own bridge. I wanted a little bit thicker rope bridge, um, okay. just so I had a little bit more for my head to lean up on. And it's I, I'd read somewhere somebody made a comment that it made a difference, and it was absolutely flawless. Wow, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, talk about. Uh, some of the maneuverability with the saddle. Uh, do you do you feel like there's any issues with that, or do you feel like it's better? Well, I, I'll say with the with the platform, it, it's definitely better. Um, I'm, I'm shooting. I, I split between a 58 inch recurve and a 60 inch longbow, and I have not had any issues. I actually I shot a, a buck last year that actually survived. I hit him in no man's land, but uh, it was the only deer I didn't film my shot on last year. Uh, he came into the horns and just kind of ruffled me up and I just turned and shot him over the bridge, but I shot him directly. If, if you're facing 12 o'clock is the tree. I shot him at two o'clock a uh, quarter and away. And I mean, the shot, I actually hit him where I was aiming. He was standing on a pine flat and the angle made it just a little bit awkward. So I, I the air stayed high and it angled down into the good stuff, but it is it right through him. But from that, it's been perfect. But I, I, I'm not a proponent of shooting over the bridge. I just, if I hunted with a compound more, I would be more so, but I feel like you move a little more than I like at right. that shot. So I always try to set up that my two o'clock to my four thirty, five o'clock area is my downwind side. Okay. Um, it's just the area I don't care about. And so I, I try and always plan for that if, if possible. I mean, I, it doesn't always work out that way, but when it does, it just makes everything a lot easier for me. Oh yeah, no doubt. It's definitely a lot better to kind of set up to where you're hoping the deer come out on your strong side for sure. Exactly. Because there's just like no movement other than you got to just grab the bow. But it's, it's, and if you, I mean, once you create the system with it, uh, it's, it actually, it's unbelievable how fast you can, you can grab the bow and move over and shoot. Um, I actually, I carried a rifle with it once this year and I hung the rifle off the left side and I was absolutely amazed at how easy it was just to, it almost felt like I was cheating. <laughs> uh, the bridge. Uh, before I got down, I kind of danced around the tree with the gun, just trying to take every shot angle possible. And I, other than a, about the five o'clock range and just the angle I had to turn, right. I, I didn't feel. I mean, I feel like I could have. I was sitting on a bench rest, shooting any direction. It was really unbelievable. Really, that's interesting. Because um, I'll probably, I imagine, I'll be uh, at some point during the the season. I mean, I, I love hunting with the uh, black powder season. I guess. Yes. And I, I just I haven't had the want to kind of trade that in for, to keep hunting with a bow. You know what I mean? Uh, there's just something about the black powder, and that's normally best time of year or the best hunting uh, where I'm at here in Florida is muzzleloader. And I, I, for some reason, it's just kind of my thing is, is muzzleloading. So I was kind of interested. I hadn't really talked to too many people who, who had gun hunted out of a saddle. I mean, pretty much everybody bow hunts out of it, but you don't hear a lot about gun hunting. I know some people do, but I was kind of interested and I knew I was like, well, I'm going to need to get outside and practice some with this gun just to kind of see what I'm capable of, uh, as it, opposed to sitting in a stand where I can, I know I can get solid. <laughs> it's, it, it really is. It, it's, it's really easy. That's actually one of my, I always make a few goals each year. That's actually one of my goals this year. Is to, I have an old 54 caliber Hawkins, uh, muzzleloader. 
okay. that uh, that's that's my goal is to actually kill a deer out of the saddle with it this year uh, nice. at some point. Yeah, that's one of my goals as well. <laughs> I hope I kill one with a bow, a muzzle loader, and a rifle. <laughs> Maybe I can get, catch the trifecta uh, this this season. I had like I said, I haven't hunted out of the saddle yet. Host of this show, Walter, he hunted out of yes. one last year. So we and but he never ended up killing anything out of a saddle last year. So we, he's kind of got like a running thing on who's going to be the first one to get a deer out of the saddle. I'm like, well, you got a whole season on me to begin with. So we'll see. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to take that, but you never know. <laughs> it will probably be like a Georgia, Florida football game. He'll take the lead early, but you'll kill the biggest one in the end. That's, that's normally how you guys do it. <laughs> there, there you go. Well, I'll take, I'll take that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. So you like the saddle because of the it's lightweight. What else you said? The maneuverability or yeah, well, more so just the function. I, I mean, you think about a, a, a traditional lock on. You got your lock on. You have your harness, and then for me, I'm, I'm packing my deer out on public land. Uh, every every deer I kill is taking a backpack right out. I'm, I'm not dragging them. Um, so when I'm packing all that in, I go in. I think my setup, the lowest I could get it was around 21 pounds, and okay. then coming out, you know. Say you kill, say I kill just a decent sized doe down here. I'm getting 30 to 35 pounds of meat off of. So you're looking at 50, what 57 pounds of meat, 57 pounds coming out with in a cumbersome. Right. The thing with the saddle is, I actually only lost about five pounds, five and a half pounds total. It was different, which which is is a great deal. But the perceived weight is what people don't talk about. I, I feel right. the perceived weight is so much less. Um, even with those bags on there and your ropes and everything else, it just feels so much lighter the way it rides on your hips and so forth and during early season i actually roll mine up and i actually pack it in my pack and just walk in with the backpack on and my bow in my hand and okay it it's unbelievable just how easy that is and i mean you step over logs you can do all that you don't have to worry about your, your stand hanging up above you or anything like that or getting caught in any briars just nothing it's it's absolutely amazing down here in south georgia the the muck i have to walk through on some of these public land places you're, you're talking seven to eight inches of mud and having that extra free hand is quite useful most of the time oh yeah that, that definitely makes sense and I, the, one of the big things is that you're not clanking around making a lot of noise like you would with a, a stand unless you've just used uh like stealth strips or something like that to really get a lot of that noise that metal on metal contact out i feel like uh, you don't have that with a saddle at all no, I, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I have two lock-ons I use quite a bit. I have a, I had a Millennium that the, it's filled with foam and wrapped with paracord. And then I had a Lone Wolf that was complete. It's, I mean, cast, not supposed to make any noise. The entire thing was wrapped in paracord. There was not an area exposed on it that wasn't didn't have paracord or stealth strips. And I had a little bit of stealth strips on the post. And it still found a way to ding every so often. Right. I mean, it was just unbelievable the, the little things that would make a noise from here to there. You hunt a combination of public and private. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, Mason, uh, mostly uh, early season, I'm on public land uh, pretty much exclusively. And then the last of October uh, through November, I, I go back to my lease quite a bit uh, and chase something a little bit bigger than I normally see on public land. Right. And then uh, – we were texting the other day. You kind of mentioned what you mentioned that there were other opportunities to maybe take more bucks in the state of Georgia. W- what does that entail? So we have, there's quota hunts here. Uh, we, we have a quota system so you can put in for drone hunts, but almost all the WMAs uh, that, that don't have an actual quota hunt have what's called a check-in hunt. And a check-in hunt means that they're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Uh, a lot of them are Thursday and Friday is buck only. And that you'll, you'll kill a buck and they'll give you a tag for the buck. You just have to bring the deer up there to them. 
Um, so for me, only time I'll drag a deer is there and I'll drag it for a free tag. So it gives you an opportunity to try and chase next, but you can technically kill two bucks on those hunts. So I, I was actually, after we texted, I, I started looking it up. I want to say you can kill, if, if you really went to all the check-in hunts and tried to make it work that way, there's a possibility you could, you could kill 20 plus bucks in the state. <laughs> oh, wow. If you really, yeah. If you really hit a lot of those WMAs and if you put in for some of the quota hunts as well. Dang. It's a, uh, it's really interesting. And all the quota hunts are gun hunts just about. Um, so that's, that's a plus and a minus. The the bad thing about it being signed in is as many people shows up, shows up. So you, you could be hunting with 500 of your closest friends. You could be hunting with 50 of your closest friends. It, it really doesn't matter. Right. But you just don't know until you get there. <laughs> no, but the one plus of that many people in the woods is it, it does, it spreads everything out quite a bit as far as the deer movement. And we, I'll go with one or two other people a lot of times, and normally somebody kills one or two deer out of the group. It's it's pretty common. Yeah, I would imagine, uh, for sure. Uh, well, when I mean, when is there like a specific rut time for the bucks up in Georgia? So it, it kind of you can kind of follow the rut a little bit, uh, in my opinion. Of where I'm at, the first week of November to first to second week of November, which is kind of the classic. We normally see a lot of our younger bucks really starting to move, but that first to second week of December has always been really good to me. Um, I, and I more so for bigger bucks, I think they they start the, the last of the does are coming out, and the, either the younger does are coming back in, or they're actually having a look. So we normally start seeing them a lot more around that standpoint. But uh, on, on my property that that I'm, I manage quite a bit over here. First week of, well, the last week of October through the second week of November, we'll have three to five bucks normally killed. We'll have a little lull there through Thanksgiving, and then there'll be two or three bucks killed in December. And that's kind of how we, uh, and, and I say, when I say bucks, I, bucks that I, I consider, you know, the 110s to, to 130s, 140s in our area. Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like Florida kind of has a trickle rut. <laughs> I mean, like they, they're kind of breed the, the entire season. But there are certain little areas, like in October a little bit, and then like that first week of December. And it even kind of changes on different properties as well. I mean, I hunt two places, and they're about five miles apart as the crow flies. And one of them seems like it's in mid-October. The other one seems like it's like the first week of December. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just so strange (laughs) here. I I got a friend that lives in Jacksonville. He hunts somewhat of an urban, I guess you could almost call it urban. It's, It's a swamp area, but there's construction all around him there. Uh, we keep up through Facebook and we talk every so often through messenger and whatnot, but he was actually posting the other day that he was already seeing rubs and scrapes uh, in his area that he was predicting an early rut. And I, he, the man, the man is a good hunter. I, I would, I listen to him most of the time when he says that but <laughs> he, he was showing some of that down there. It was pretty unreal. Yeah. I've been out to the woods. Like our season starts Saturday, but I've, I mean, I've been seeing scrapes and rubs <laughs> already. <laughs> and we actually had, this was probably August, maybe 10th. There was a buck, I mean, a nice nine point. And my buddy had his game camera. Well, there was some does in the picture. This nine point comes in, head on the ground. And then the does run off. He like pops up. He's like looking around, circles around where the does had been. And then the next picture is him leaving. And there was corn there. I mean, he had baited, he was baited right there because you can bait in Florida. But it was like that buck was already checking does in August. And today I talked to a buddy. He, he had an eight point buck chasing a doe through his front yard <laughs> this morning. I pulled cameras up. Well, my dad actually pulled them yesterday and we still, we still have five to six bucks in a bass right here. We still have, we still have a probably 115, 120 inch eight point full velvet right now. Okay. 
So it's uh yeah, we're we're definitely a little bit behind you on, on that aspect of it. But ours I, I kinda attribute ours a lot to to the crops. Um when the when the peanuts come up, which is normally the starts it start here in the next couple of weeks, early October, um, when they start to come up, that's really when our deer start to divide out, it seems. Um, okay. they really get off the food and start hitting the acorns and uh and I guess the golden acorns that are everywhere in Georgia now and start to uh that's when we really start to see some and I my, my camera pictures start to get a lot better. That's I start getting some traveling deer, some that aren't staying so close to all the peanut fields and whatnot. And uh we start seeing some some a lot a lot more quality, uh, especially in some of the areas that I hunt. Yeah, no doubt. I think it feels like when they kind of get rid of a bunch of them crops, they, they got, they got to go somewhere. <laughs> they got to disperse well, somewhere because they ain't got all that cover and everything around them anymore. So it makes exactly. sense to me because I'll always have like a bunch of bucks that show up probably in October ish at a, but, and they'll stay in there the rest of the season type deal, but they're never there like that first month of the season <laughs> when you're trying to get them with a bow or whatnot, or trying to get them on an early pattern. And then it seems like they're chasing, they're out chasing a doe every time or something. But, uh, yeah, that's always uh, been interesting to me. Well, you kind of, you talked about the saddle. We kind of got sidetracked a little bit <laughs> talking about <laughs> some more Georgia hunting, Florida hunting, everything in between. We, we've had, I think we've had one guy come on and talk a little bit about traditional archery. What was the appeal for you to make the switch to uh, traditional archery? Honestly, I, I got bored uh, with the compound bow. Um, I, that sounds kind of... I, I don't conceded maybe is the word there. I, yeah. I, I picked up, I got a compound, um, in 99, uh, my, my dad did some horse trading and got me a compound and gave it to me. And he would actually drive me out and he would sit in the truck and I would bow hunt. And, uh, I, I didn't kill anything the first couple of years. Uh, and then in 2002, he got a compound and opening morning that year, I, I killed a small buck, uh, the next year, I bought, I upgraded and I bought a, a Bowtech. Uh, I guess you would call it the the it was the AR. I don't know if you remember those. It's called an Archery Research. They called them an AR, and it was uh -huh. a, kind of a it was kind of a speeder a speed bow and real easy to tune. And I bought it, put a pin on it, and within three weeks, at thirty yards, I was busting shafts. So I hunted with it that year. I actually missed a really nice buck, uh, but. I watched him four days in a row at 70 yards. And then the fifth day he walks in and I just absolutely blew the shot. Just <laughs> right. the nerves got me and messed it all up. But after that, I kind of got my composure and started shooting deer with it. And I, I kind of got bored. I, I wanted, I wanted more of a challenge. Uh, we were talking earlier about how Florida and Georgia is kind of same. Normally I'm not seeing further than 50 or 60 yards in most of the swamps I'm hunting at most. And, I mean, I was hitting a four-inch pie plate. I, the youth, now I would never think about that, but at that time, youth, I was 50 yards seemed like a dream shot for me. I, I felt really confident that I could hit anything out there. So uh, I wanted to rein myself back in, and I picked up a Martin Mamba for Christmas. My, my mama actually got me one for Christmas. She asked me late what I wanted, and uh, <laughs> I, bought, I got it December 25th. Uh, got a little local archery shop uh gave me some pointers helped me tune up a couple of arrows and i actually shot a doe january 4th oh uh, wow that i uh i i shot until my hands hurt i really did it just absolutely grabbed me and after that year i i didn't i didn't hunt with a gun like i said for for quite a while um i uh I killed a nice velvet five point the following uh, year, open day of bow season uh, on some public property while I was in college over in Statesboro. After that, it just, it, it had me. That was, that was all I wanted to do. 
and uh, I haven't looked back. I, I've gotten out where I pick up a gun a little bit just for a little bit uh, range and kind of help our doe population uh, a little bit. But the uh, the bow is really where it's at. That that flight is just so much different coming out of a uh, out of a wooden bow than it is out of a compound. And it's it's got me in my in my bones. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. Now I, I've I've heard people like Aaron Snyder and stuff like that. I mean, they call it the struggle stick or whatever talking about that you basically took you about a week or maybe a little bit longer than a week to go from getting it to to hunting with it to killing something with is it that simple no i it is it's not i i mean to be honest with you i shot so much and the deer i shot i told myself i was going to limit myself to 10 yards on that hunt okay and i i had actually killed it it was it was kind of a a comical story i my dad and i were sitting at the house and i told him i was going to take the bow uh right after christmas i I think i'm getting pretty good with this he kind of laughed and i said i he said, you see that squirrel out there? If you can kill that squirrel, you can go. And I, it sounds like the most redneck thing in the world, but <laughs> I walked out there and I just made a lucky shot at about seven steps and I killed the squirrel. He's like, I guess you're ready. And uh, <laughs> I got a picture somewhere of me holding that little old thing. But nice. uh, I carried it and I had a, I had a young doe come in and she walked into, like I said, 10 yards and I just zipped one right through her. And then I killed the following one, the opening day of both season the next year. I missed the next three hogs uh, over a two-week period. <laughs> So it, don't, 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 don't get it construed. I, I just had a fortunate start. Um, I, uh, I, I normally miss at least one deer a year. Um, and it's, for me, it, it's just not, it's getting in a hurry is what gets me in trouble. Not, not taking the time to pick a spot. That's the, it's actually written on the back of my longbow, uh, right in front of my face. When I draw it back, it says pick a spot. And anybody that says they miss with a traditional gear, that's, that's what happened. They didn't pick a spot. They didn't pick a spot. Now, I feel like, to me, what I always thought was, you're, you're hunting with such a heavy arrow. Uh, I, I can't, to me, I just, I'm, and I'm trying to think, I was like, I think in my mind, I'm like, man, there's so much practice I would have to put in with that thing, as opposed to like with your combat, like you're talking about, you can go pick it up and you probably be pretty accurate, 30, 40 yards, maybe not shot it in a year, if it's set up how it was before uh, yes. you, you quit shooting it. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. Talk about like what's going through your mind and how do you prepare before the season uh, to when you go out to actually take an animal with your traditional bow? So with, with the traditional gear, I mean, it, it comes back to the old thing that uh, preparation favors the bold. Uh, so with the arrow set up, if, if you take the time to bear shaft and tune an arrow for your bow, it, it will it will actually you can set it up to shoot where you're looking at so what i mean by that is when you draw back i'm, I'm an instinctive shooter I, I don't use the point or anything like that i, I look at the target kind of like throwing a baseball and right. you, you just look at it and you, you throw it with with this bow or uh, these bows i have them set up i i, I actually shoot without a flesh and I'm, I'm looking i'm in my little hunting room right here and i'm, I'm looking at my three arrows i have two fleshed and one bear shaft and that's how i practice i shoot a bear shaft arrow then I shoot two fletch stairs and the bear shaft arrow shows me if my release is off. So everything I'm focusing on when I come back is hitting anchor, picking my spot and then a smooth release, which is letting my hand relax and come through to my ear for me. And that's my secondary anchor point. So my whole goal is to focus and relax, focus and relax. And it's repetition. I, I have a, my fiance is, she, she believes in my addiction, I guess is the best way to word it. And I have a archery target set up in our hallway in our house. And every morning when I get out of the gym, when I come back home from the gym, before I take my shower to go to work, I fire two arrows at eight steps. And 
I, all I'm doing is just working on form. I, I just want to make sure everything's there. And I, I do that I, at least five days a week. Um, oh, wow. Making that, and then I shoot anywhere from five sets of three to 15 sets of three at least four times a week. Uh, leading up to deer season definitely some uh, preparation there do, do you have like a max distance you'll shoot at an animal i do um it, it's I, I, like i said earlier with, with the older i get the more i realize that uh I'm, I'm not as big and bad as i thought i once was uh so I, I actually keep a log of all the deer i shoot and so forth my, my average kill distance is about 12 yards oh wow um my uh my go-to uh range is 15 and in um and i i truly believe when they're inside of 15 yards i I, I'm, I'm not going to miss. Uh, I, I'll try a shot on a on a deer that is calm at 20, but I will not go further than that. Um, it's just it's not it's not in the cards. There's too much. I mean, I'm shooting a 65 pound longbow slinging almost an 800 grain arrow. <laughs> it, it's going a little bit faster than the speed of smell. Right. And uh, they uh, they have an uncanny ability to to get out of the way before it gets there sometimes. So right, but if they don't, then that's going to be some serious devastation. <laughs> They do. It, it, it normally is sticking six inches in the dirt on the other side. Yeah, I would imagine it's kind of hard to <laughs> pull the arrow out after it goes through the. the yes, sir. nothing's probably really stopping that. Even if you, even if you're hitting shoulder, it's probably blowing right through it. No, absolutely. Not. I actually have a picture of a doe I shot a few years ago. I, I broke both shoulders. That the main shoulder bones coming through the air is sticking out six inches on the opposite side of the broad head. It broke both her legs. She ran forty yards with her face in the dirt the whole way. It was the most unbelievable thing. I was more amazed the air didn't break. That was the to me that was the most amazing part yeah, of it. My dad is. was just a, he was astounded that the deer was able to run with no front legs. But yeah, that's it was crazy. pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean deer deer do amazing things. <laughs> yeah, I'm always uh, I, I learn something new every year after shooting <laughs> one or whatever. You're just like, what? there's no way that deer went that far or whatever. I mean, they're just incredible animals. And when that adrenaline gets pumping, you just never know what, what they're capable of. Really. I've made horrible shots and seen the deer literally, you know, fall over. I, I just couldn't believe the, sh- the, the first deer ever killed with a bow. I, I shot through the hands. Right. I, I just pulled the shot and I cut both three more. He, it was a little old spike. He ran 15 yards right, and just fell over dead as a doornail. And then I've, I've hit double lung shots and tracked deer for seemed like half a mile, but you know, closer to 300 yards most of the time. Yeah. It's just unreal what they can do. Yeah, yeah. It's, like I said, you're right. Like I said, the sums that you shoot and they're dead within five seconds, <laughs> and you watch them fall, and the other ones you you're like, okay, well, <laughs> I thought it was a great shot. Well, how come they didn't fall like that? Seen where arrows have deflected, not all kinds of weird, wanky stuff. After when you start trying to clean deer, and you're like, oh shoot, I only hit one lung and liver, and I shouldn't have went in that soon, but. <laughs> The shot looked good from the vantage point of the stand. We, we often forget that it's not just the deer's adrenaline that's running when that air is released. It's ours as well. And, you know, we, we kind of – I always think that we, we think we, we did better than we are because that ego is just real big in the deer woods, I feel like. It's, <laughs> it's kind of like golf. Everybody thinks they can drive the ball 300 yards. And that's, that's true. You break a tape out, it's, it's not really there. That's what you want to see when you release an arrow, for sure. You want to see it going through them vials and everything else. So I, I can imagine in, in the heat of the moment, you're shaking, drilling, rushing. It, it probably, your shots probably aren't as good as you probably think they are. Talk to us about all the components uh, for some tra- traditional archery. Like, what, what are you using? Are you using a, a hand tab, fingers? Like, I'm using a glove. I, uh, I shot a tab for a little bit, and I just didn't like it. Um, 
I, I got a, a I don't know, you know, Warren Walmack, he, he always joked that a tab was best for filming because it opened your hand up, but I just can't get rid of my gloves. Um, I, uh, I absolutely love those. Um, I shoot two different gloves, actually. My, my longbow, like I said, is 65 at 28. I pull just about 28 and a quarter, 20. It's right at between 66 and 67 pounds on my draw. And then I have a, okay. a recurve that's 55 and at my draw, it's right, right around 56, 57. Uh, so I shoot a little bit thinner glove on my recurve uh, than that. But for me, it's all about the arrow. Um, I'm a I'm a big proponent of uh, Dr. Ashby. Um, I'm, I'm shooting 26 percent front of center on my recurve <laughs> and 24 on my longbow. Um, I'm actually trying out some heads. I don't, I don't know if you've heard of the Ranch Ferry out in Texas, Troy Fowler. Uh, and he's it got sounds a, familiar. He's got a YouTube channel and I, I reached out to him and we've been kind of bouncing back and forth and. He sent me a, a couple of tough heads that he's modified that they, they may be coming out with. So I'm a I'm giving those a whirl this year and uh, gonna see if I can't send one through something and uh, take some pictures and kind of send him back some feedback on it so they can see what they want to do with them. But I'm, I'm big on single bevel. Um, right. And I I'm not a guy that really gets I'm a tinkerer, so I get hung up. I'm I'm looking at my quivers right now and I I see. I see nine different broadheads in a five era and two five era quivers right now. Right. So I, I'm not really particular to that much. Uh, I just want it to be a single bevel. And I want it to fly straight and these seem to do it. I, uh, I, I, I went back to shooting lighted knocks a little bit more for the film than anything else. Uh, I don't, you know, Dr. Ashby preaches that you shouldn't use lighted knocks because they, reduce your fog. I would probably be closer to 28, 29% out of my longbow if I didn't uh, have a lot of knock on there. And I, I may still change them out a little bit just to give me a, a little bit more on my, my bigger pig areas, uh, just to give me a little bit more there. But other than that, I, I shoot fast flight strings. Um, my, uh, my recurve is a, is a Martin Mamba and my longbow is actually from a guy down in Florida. Uh, I met through a form years ago and, uh, he gave me a heck of a deal, a uh, coastal bend. I, I think he still makes them. Uh, okay. He, uh, he he made me a bow, and uh, he, he had never made one that with as much weight as I wanted. He made it for me. I shot it for a few years, and the riser actually separated. I had a real pretty uh, laminate riser with three pieces of wood, and uh, he told me that I, I sent him a picture. I said it's, it's coming, on, it's coming to land on me. I sent him the riser back. He built me another one, had it back to me in about two weeks, and. I pick at him. The new riser's heavier, and I've shot that bow better the last three years than I have I ever did when it was with the uh, the old riser. It's just unbelievable that weight difference there. But okay. I, I say weight, and the, the whole bow weighs four pounds with six errors or five errors and a blunt on it. So right, yeah, that's that's not too bad. No. <laughs> that's not too bad at all. Cool. Well, hey, uh, I, I personally have not ever really had the itch for traditional archery yet. I know if I feel like some people get stages like that, but it seems like you've been you're in love with it and you it's just what you're going to ride out um, for sure. I, I actually feel bad when I shoot a deer with anything else. I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I got a 130 inch 10 point on my wall right now that uh, it's the first year I killed with the rifle in 10 years. Right. And uh, when I shot him, I shot him at nine steps from the stand on Christmas Eve. Oh, Lord. And I, I, I could have cried. I really could have. <laughs> I mean, it was just, uh, I was happy to get him. Don't get me wrong, but I was, I could absolutely cry. <laughs> so. I, I can imagine, especially as much uh, effort as you put in <laughs> with the yeah. the traditional equipment for one to step out. That, but that's kind of seems how it always works one way or the other. Exactly. Well, cool. Well, 
Uh, we talked about traditional. We talked about saddles. So let's talk about filming. I mean, you, you're you're trying to add a bunch of stuff here. Uh, how long have you been filming your hunts? So I actually filmed back in 2005. I, I carried an old JVC camera for about <laughs> two years on every hunt. Never recorded a kill. I, I just never grabbed the camera. I was more worried about shooting something. Right. I, I, every time, I, the only footage I really got was of the deer after the deer I shot. I would film those. And I, I, I went to college and I kind of got out of it. And then, uh, like I said, uh, 2017, uh, the bug got me. I had a, a couple of buddies of mine were, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm a bit of a storyteller. So I would tell <laughs> stories. My buddies, man, you should really film some of this. And then some of my members were, were picking at me because I was talking about some of the deer I was letting walk. And then I'd see them, somebody in the club would shoot them. And I was like, hey, I saw that deer a couple weeks ago. He's good deer. Congratulations. And, so I said, well, I'm just going to carry the camera. I'm going to see if I can't film some of this. And then I got into the saddle side, and I said, well, I'll, I'll film uh, I'll film some hunts from a saddle. Nobody else is doing that. And, you know, throw some stuff on YouTube. Maybe somebody will like the way it looks. And it'll give me something else to do in the deer stand instead of playing Candy Crush the whole time. That right. I see. Well, has filming your hunts helped you as a hunter? Uh, you know, it's it's, it's funny. Uh, I uh, I picked at my, uh, my dad last year when I, when I grabbed the camera the first time little bit of season i said you know i'm, I'm gonna carry this camera and i'm gonna film all these bucks i've been letting walk and then i shoot that buck that I, probably one of the ones you, you saw one of my first videos i posted uh that eight point i shot uh, not even going into shooting i was going in to shoot a hog and i, I was gonna let him walk I, I really was and i kind of got the camera on him and i'll be honest with you that little three inch lens makes him look a whole lot bigger whenever right. you zoom it in to about 12x and uh <laughs> he was standing there posed to good i said well I, you know i couldn't help myself but from a hunting standpoint, what it has made me do is get up. I, and by that, I mean I, I don't hit the snooze alarm. Um, I have to get in there. Like I said, I like to be in the stand an hour before daylight. So I, my lease is an hour from here. So when I'm driving there from where I currently live at, I uh, I have to leave. So what would normally take me with the saddle, I think I, I actually taught myself the other day uh, using a uh, uh, spurs and the saddle i could i could walk a tree and be set up and it's like eight or nine minutes i mean it was it was ridiculous it, it, and that was taking everything off the pack and so forth hang everything up when you throw the camera in there to do it quietly you're talking another 15 minutes and it, it just really makes you mind your p's and q's you have to take your time and make sure everything's set up so from that it, it's really I should say it makes me a better hunter. It's made me a better filmer over the last year because there's there's a big difference in setting up to kill a deer and there's set up to kill it, uh, or to film the kill of a deer. It's it's a lot different. Um, and then when you mix turkey hunting into that, that, that <laughs> that's that was a whole different world. I, I was not prepared for in any way. I did not realize how hard that would be to kill. What what I always joke is just a dumb bird, but I, I could not believe how hard that made it carrying that camera. Really, it, it it's. <laughs> You know, when you set up for a turkey, you're scared that they're going to see you in some way. So you're trying to set up in the brush or if you're on the field edge, you know, you kind of get five to ten yards off the field. With the camera, though, when you're five to ten yards in spring in South Georgia, there's bushes everywhere. So that there's there's no film. You don't see anything. Right. The, I can't tell how many times I set up in the early dawn and then would have to move, you know, five minutes before the bird's going to fly down the first couple of hunts just to realize, you know, I, I got to have that clear opening. So. It did change a lot how I turkey hunted, but uh, from a deer hunting standpoint, the only thing that's really changed is I've started climbing a little bit higher. Uh, I'm, I'm normally an 18 to 20 foot guy, and I've turned into a, about a 25 foot guy now. Oh, really? I, I think it just gives it just makes me feel safer, uh, even with the and that is one plus I've noticed with the saddle is I, I do feel like I get away with more movement having a tree to hide 
with the camera and so forth. Oh, uh, yeah. The movement factor. So I, I do feel it. But that 25-foot range, it really takes me out of the peripheral of the deer. And I, when, when I made that jump, I did see a big difference in how much more I was able to get away with in filming deer. And that took me all of about three and a half weeks last year to learn. And you filmed, you basically filmed your entire season last year, like your hunting had, season? I had 38 hours of just deer season last year. I had filmed from B-roll and everything else. Kills did you actually have last season in the in the woods? I had, uh, I had six kills. Uh, five of them were on film. Uh, one of them corrupted on me. I didn't get it. Okay. Well, something don't want to happen, but I'm sure it happens. I mean, <laughs> with anything for sure. Cheap SD card. That was the, uh, it, I wrote it until it fucked me. It, it, it sure did get me. It okay. Really did. I got it, you. It fucked me right off there. You're running two cameras, right? You're running one for the deer and then like a GoPro or something on you. I have a GoPro session on me. Um, I actually upgraded a little bit this year. I'm, I'm going to run a, uh, I'm actually uh, getting everything set up here for our opener this weekend. I'm going to run a Hero Five uh, Black, and then I have a I have a, a knockoff uh, camera from I picked up on Amazon, a little fifty dollar camera. I'm actually going to try and set up for some second angle from the ground on a, um, some of my early season hunts uh, on, okay. on bait and whatnot. But uh, and then I run a, a camera for the deer and so forth. Uh, and I, I still have an extra. I have the session, a uh, hero session that I've been running on my bridge, but I, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. If I'm going to leave it as a truck thing to do interviews in there, or if I'm going to add it in and just give another angle from the tree. The more I do this, the more I realize you really can't take too many angles. There's the, the more the more cuts you can make to, to kind of cover up some of your movement and whatnot, it, it really does make a difference. Well, talk to us a little bit about like your philosophy with filming the hunts, because I, I know I'll watch some of your hunts and then you've got music playing at certain points during your hunt. And then when it's time to, to make the kill shot, everything goes to quiet and all that. What, what, what do you think makes that? Uh, I mean, you have a unique style in your films. I haven't really seen too many other people with that style. So why, why did you pick that style uh, for your hunts? It honestly just felt right whenever I was editing. Um, I, uh, I, I'll i be honest, as much as I enjoy filming hunts, I actually like editing the most. Um, and it, it could just be the, like I said, maybe I like to tell the story. So being able to kind of, it's almost like painting and I, I can barely write my name. So drawing was never good for me. <laughs> um, so being able to, to, you know, paint with something that has already been made, it, it really, it's really enjoyable for me to try and do that. And to try and mess around with it and make it look right. The music just kind of came in on a couple of areas. I I, I like a lot of music. I, I mean, I, I believe I have like probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,500 songs on my phone right now from Amazon <laughs> and whatnot. And so music's always been real big for me. So I just started adding some in. And I was seeing some of the other shows and, you know, YouTube stuff. And I, I really don't care to hear waterfalls or anything like that. So I, I figured I'd throw a song in there that somebody might know or kind of you know, made me feel what I was feeling at that moment and uh, right. threw it in. Some of them seemed like relevant to the hunt. I was kind of getting into the music because I was like, oh man, this, this matches up with what he's doing right now, which is, which is kind of cool. So well, I, I enjoyed that actually, instead of just, just sitting there watching, listening to nothing <laughs> while it was going on in the, in the dead time. <laughs> yeah. The, with the video, I, I think I called it Lone Pine Doe. Um, I actually, uh, I, a friend of mine on my lease, uh, we, we rode out just checking cameras in late December and uh, he kind of looked over there. And he said, man, he said, look at that lone pine out there. He said, y'all don't ever hunt that. And it, it was one of my dad's spots. And I had just heard a song by Jamestown Earl called Lone Pine Tree. 
And I said, man, you know, I, that ought to be pretty good. So the next morning I just walked out there and climbed up the tree with my Tomcat and had a couple of does come walking through. And I mean, it, it kind of wrote itself. It was, it was really, it, it almost seemed fortuitous for the way it worked out. And, you know, it was actually, I, I thought it was one of my better videos. The sunrise was so pretty, but you know, YouTube had different thoughts, I guess, at that stage. But I really liked, for me, that was my favorite film out of all of them. It just came together, and it went against, you know, kind of all the other ways I'd been hunting. But it just kind of, from a behind-the-scenes standpoint, it came together really well for me. Cool. Well, I can, it sounds to me like you really enjoy that aspect of it now. Like, you, the, all that goes behind it. Because some people kind of like the film, and some people <laughs> like the editing. Uh, sounds like you kind of like to do all of it and enjoy all of it, and you're thinking about it all the time. I am, I am. I, it's uh, it's kind of got to the point now where I'd rather have the camera uh in my boat most of the time when I'm leaving the truck. It's you know, it's uh, all right. We got the pack. You got the camera bag. What else are we miss? Oh, the boat. We need that. Yeah, let's grab that. <laughs> right. Let's get I gotta it. gotta have that. Yeah, that's that'd be useful out there. <laughs> it will be, especially uh, if you want to eat. <laughs> that's right. That's right. For sure, and it sounds like you got you. Sounds like you have a little bit of a target-rich environment where you're at. I said we're very blessed down here. I, uh, uh, we actually were, we're scouted, we scouted this Wednesday afternoon uh, for this weekend. I'm gonna hunt a piece of public land here close to the house. And we had the guy I was with. We kind of joked and we left the truck. I said, "I'll oh, just leave the boats here. We're gonna run down there." And we said, "Yeah, that'd be fine." Ran down there and two pigs stepped out at 18 steps, walked right to us, and then turned and kind of walked off. I I filmed a little bit of them, threw them up on my Instagram, but it was just it's comical. There's just so much game down here; it's really unbelievable. Right, that's that, that's good. That that helps you out <laughs> as a hunter, and if you're trying to catch stuff on film, and I mean, where do you you just like documenting your hunts and just sharing them on YouTube? Is that like your your end goal, or is there something else? I, that's pretty much it. I mean, I, my my dad always jokes. He's like, "Oh, you're a good hunter, son. Maybe somebody will pick you up. You'd be like that Waddell boy." And I just <laughs> kind of always laugh. That's, that's nothing that I really want to do. I, I mean, I I just enjoy filming them. If it, you know, if it takes me somewhere, fine. If not, it it really doesn't matter. I I get more pleasure just out of you know chasing critters and so forth and being able to film them is just an added aspect to it. I, I've always been kind of reluctant to film myself basically because i was always worried about it. I was like ah do i i don't because i'd see people where they're like oh i don't i'm not going to shoot it if it's not on film is that the kind of how you are or is it doesn't really matter if a big 150 inch buck comes in you ain't going to worry about the camera at that point i'll tell you if you're if you're thinking about filming don't i'll just just don't do it it is it becomes a lot of work it becomes an addiction it really does and like you just said it's all I care about. That's all I want to do is film a deer. I, I mean, shooting a, a traditional bow, I, I've been letting deer walk at, you know, 40 yards for a long time. It's just something that happens. So the camera really didn't change that much. I'm, I'm okay if the deer gets by for the most part. Uh, I uh, I did get, like I said, I, I did swap into kill mode early this year or, you know, early last year and missed that deer or shoot that deer uh, a little high. But other than that, yeah, the, the camera has to be on for me. I, I want the footage and the, the better the footage, it, it just makes the hunt now more for me um I, I didn't realize how much that was until the whole year through but i, I absolutely the, and then when i go back and watch them i'm kind of like you know i, I should have did this here i should have i should have filmed you know that and i should have been at this angle or those kind of things is, is something i keep seeing a lot more and just just trying to get better it's it's kind of like the tradition but you're never going to be the best at it but you're always striving to get better. So it just kind of gives me a goal to keep reaching for and keep everything exciting. Well, speaking of goals, do you have any goals for this upcoming season? I do. I do. I, uh, I, I, I would like to kill 
a, a buck a little bit bigger than the one last year with my traditional bow on film. Um, I, I plan to make uh, four travel hunts in the state of Georgia this year. Uh, as of right now, I'm still ironing out all the details. I uh, I was in a fraternity in college, and I still have some weddings that I'm invited to. And I, why people get married in the fall, I'll never understand. Oh, but, yeah, man. It's, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Bummer. Yeah, but uh, I'm still ironing them out. Uh, one of the hunts that I'm – one of the goals I'm, I've made a priority this year that, that is going to happen is I'm, I'm going back. There's a group of guys that uh, – I'm, I'm the youngest one there most of the time by 10 years, but it's the traditional bow hunters of Georgia. Uh, they have, we have a hunt at a WMA here in middle Georgia every year. And I haven't been able to make it the last two years. And I, that's where I grew up. That's where I first public land hunted. That's kind of where I, I cut my teeth in public land and so forth. And those guys are like family over there. So I, I really want to get back to that hunt and, uh, be over there for a few days with them this year. And, uh, it's, it's right at the, the start of the pre-rut over there. So it's normally a really good hunt. And, uh, just to see that ground again, it's, it's right on the old muggy river and it's just absolutely gorgeous. I don't, I don't know if I've hunted too many places that are as pretty as that. So that if I had to pick a priority goal, it's, it's that right there to make it back over there this year. The title of this podcast is chasing tails. And we're always chasing, uh, that next tale to kind of come back and tell everybody at camp, uh, about the hunt. So if you could, uh, would you give the listeners maybe one of your favorite hunting stories? Uh, to kind of close this uh, podcast out for us, I, I'll give you the uh, the trip I took to Iowa uh, with with my dad. Um, oh it was wow! One of those, we uh, <laughs> it was his bucket list. He he wanted to hunt Iowa, and uh, so we saved our preference points up and we went in 2015 uh, out there. I, I I scouted on the map. I, I if if my boss knew how much I looked at a map at work the year <laughs> leading up to that, I uh, he, he might ask me for some of my paycheck back because I spent a lot of time. Uh, googling and google earth and onyx maps and so forth but uh we uh we went out there and the first place we went to was the second best place i had picked it was a mile walk back into this branch and it was uh, basically a bowl between two cedar thickets with a big field and i just i called over and talked to biologists they told me that that field was corn and they should be picking it about the time we were out or uh, sort of it's not corn and they should be picking them about the time we were there. So it'd be hit or miss if that field had been picked yet. But it was the backfield on that property. So there was a good chance it would be the last field standing. So I, I, we took a chance. We walked back there. And it was just absolutely loaded with rubs, scrapes, everything you dreamed of when you look at Iowa. I mean, just absolutely amazing. So the next morning I went in and I, I, my dad hunted one side of the hill. And I went on that side, hung my stand 10 minutes into the hunt. But as the sun was just barely starting to crack, I had a small eight-point chase of doe right underneath me. And I was like, oh, this is this is perfect. <laughs> as the sun barely broke the ridge, I saw the biggest buck I've ever seen in my entire life. He was running a doe about 85, 90 yards from me. And I could clearly see five tines coming up, not counting his brow tine, uh, as he ran across the hill. Oh, and it, it, it absolutely bit me. And this is the part that I believe you said you're going to Iowa next year, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm hoping to. I got four preference points, so I'm hoping to be able to get out there next season. This is where you learn from my mistakes here. The next deer that came in was probably somewhere between 130 and 140, 10 point. Walks by me at about eight steps, and I would not release an air on him because I'd just seen this buck 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and so I let him walk. So uh, I spent there. I ended up seeing, I think, 10 or 12 deer that morning. Came back in, got my dad. Said, hey, you need to come sit with me tomorrow morning. We'll sit all day. It'll be a great day. 
came over there and he shot the 18th buck that came. I, I hit a can call at five o'clock and he had just the prettiest little 130 inch 10 point run down the ridge. He actually ran past us and up above us. And my dad shot him at about 12 steps of almost eye level and ran an air right through him right in front of me. I got to witness the whole thing. He ran out there and died. I, uh, we got over, took some pictures. I put him in a backpack and it liked to killed. I, I pick at him all the time. I carried both bows and the entire deer, uh, quartered up in a backpack. He carried the cape and the, the horns and he was breathing harder by the time we got back to the truck than I was. But, right. uh, it was, uh, it was amazing. My, I, I thought my fiance was going to leave me when we got back. Cause I spent the next three weeks looking for jobs and houses, <laughs> everything else in Iowa. It was, it really did bite me hard. And we have three points we're going to put in next year to see if we're fortunate enough to go. And if not, we'll definitely go in 2021. And she's, she's absolutely dreading it. She, uh, she said I was almost intolerable for that six months after I got back. So <laughs> I, it's the only time that our, uh, our path has not been the same a lot. <laughs> right. I got you. I got you. Well, I, I can see that for sure. Um, Walter, he just got back from 10 days out in Colorado in the back country searching for elk and the same thing. As soon as he got home, he was searching for jobs in Denver and everything else just ate up with it. So I, I can see that for sure. I, I, I know when I go up to Iowa, I, I'm, I know it's going to be one of them game changer type deals. Um, cause we're going to be able to hunt, we'll hunt some public and then some private, uh, fortunately. So I, I can only imagine sitting there kind of like you say, you say you saw 18 bucks <laughs> i saw 18 bucks the first morning yes uh, i saw an eight point that's that's my biggest regret from the hunt was i, I let an eight point walk at, at about he was about 15 steps but it was it was one of those with, i just felt confident with him but he had beer cans for bases and i just uh, I, I i was just hung up on that other deer from the first get-go and i couldn't do it and, well how big do you think that deer was I believe the eight point was bigger than that ten. And I believe he would have he would have been over poking hunt as an eight point, probably closer to one forty. I mean, he was my my dad my uh my dad saw him the the next day. He was one of the the deer we saw the next day across the ridge, and he was just absolutely enamored by him. And I said, that's the one I let walk yesterday. He 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 called me a word that most dads don't call their son, but he goes, <laughs> I think I deserved it whenever he uh and looking back on the whole thing because uh, I definitely should have shot that deer. It's uh. It's the one. It's the one that really makes me want to get back out there. Yeah, no doubt. Well, how big was that one that you saw? You said it was the biggest deer you ever seen in your life. So I always joke. I, I hate saying it, but I I believe I've, I've held a 170 inch deer before, and I think he was right there with me. Okay. I, I really um, he so was, average uh, deer for Iowa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> you know, one, one they might shoot out there. Just, uh, yeah, he was. He was very, very. Yeah, yeah. If I see, like I said, if I if I have a 130, 140 class come out, I, I probably won't be able to hold back. But and like, but like you said, it kind of depends on what's on the property or what you're seeing before that. So if if I have to eat 130 inch, I have to eat 130 inch. And uh, you know, it, it's comical. Dad's deer he shot the whole time. The deer was running. I said, "Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Don't shoot!" Him. And then when he got close enough, he was drawing back. I was like, "Okay, you can shoot. Yeah, shoot him. He'll be fine." <laughs> He shoots him, and I'll be honest, I thought he was probably 110, 115 inch when, right. when I first looked at him because the body is so big on them out there. Oh, it's yeah. unbelievable how much bigger their bodies are. Uh, the the pack I used to pack him out, I've, I've actually killed two does here in South Georgia that were in the 80 to 90 pound range, and I put both of them in that backpack and carried them out, quartered up. I had that bone out the hams and part of the shoulders on that buck, and it still busted the pack carrying wow. it out. Yeah. So it's just unbelievable how big they are. They got some big old bodies for sure. 
They do. They're corn fed boys. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, like on social media or your YouTube pages? My, my name is uh, Bo Lease, B-E-A-U-L-E-Y-S-C. You can find me on Instagram and YouTube is the two best places to find me. Um, I, I normally post most of the year on Instagram pretty consistently uh, as I see new things. And depending on the video, if I feel like it's something that's, you know, worth worth somebody's look, I'll, I'll post it up on there. Awesome. That's great. Well, everybody, I I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope this episode will inspire you to maybe either get that saddle you've been wanting to buy or maybe start some traditional archery or start filming your hunts. Uh, I really appreciate Bo coming on and talking about all three of those things. Uh, If you get a chance, try to make sure and leave us a rating or review on iTunes. Uh, It really helps us out. And until next time, y'all be good.